The reading today is from uh, the end of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. We've got two verses, verse 20, 21. For I'm afraid when when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented in the impurity sexual sin, debauchery in which they have indulged. That is the word of the Lord. We're going to be dealing with repentance and our sanctification this morning. Well, sanctification is something that we often don't really look deep into but it is so incredibly important to each one of us. It is what God is doing in us through the guiding of his Holy Spirit in preparation for the day that we stand before him and give account of our lives. There are some aspects of sanctification that be worthwhile to have a much better understanding of. And over the next few weeks, in fact, we are going to, into leading into Christmas, We're going to come together and celebrate the birth of the very Saviour that God sent us, his Son, Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Let us gain understanding from what Paul has been given to give to us. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we ask that you will open our hearts this morning, that we may see ourselves, that we may come to understand who we are, that we may indeed come to a recognition of their things we need to do, Lord, not to gain your love, but to honour your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of the aspects of sanctification that Paul is bringing to us here is repentance, it's discipline, authority, authenticity, and then, of course, obedience. And today's two verses at the end of chapter 12 will begin this study and the primary objective of a minister should always be to teach and preach enabling the building of a maturing of a faith in each and every member of his congregation. And Paul writes about this, about the church that he planted in Ephesus. In chapter 4 he wrote, It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the pastor's purpose. It is in a nutshell about building churches of faith and service. And if that be the case, then it is not anything to do with the size of the church, but it's about the health, the spiritual health of the church. 
the church and the health of the brothers and sisters sitting within any given congregation. It is factually about preparing the elect for their true home in heaven. Reading in Luke 6.22, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. I wonder sometimes why, on, why ever would you want your reward here on earth when you have such ultimate reward waiting for you in heaven. It is important that we understand that the reward we will receive is never for something that we have done, but a reward that has been won for you by Christ, which also clarifies for us that there is really nothing we can do or ever have done that ever deserves such reward from the Lord. That understanding will possibly also be the beginning of our humility. Humility is also what will then lead us to the first step in our sanctification process, that of repentance. Repentance is an essential element within the gospel. And since no man can ever come to Jesus Christ apart from the complete change of heart, mind and will, all of which is contained in repentance. Repentance is at the very core of the gospel of Jesus Christ and is preached by John the Baptist, as we have in Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Also in Luke, we have it where Luke writes, And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. It is about repentance. When we speak and we consider repentance, it is also very important that we establish just what the word repentance really truly stands for. There can never be true repentance without a deep desire to also want to turn away from sin. To have this deep desire, it is also necessary to completely understand that this is all about sinfulness. In a book, The Gospel Message, I don't recommend the book, by the way, but in that book, the writer proposes that repentance means to change one's mind. It does not mean to change one's life. I have no idea where that guy came from. If you think that repentance is to turn your back on something and it is not your sins, then what is it that you're turning your back on? It obviously has to be the sin. Isaiah wrote about this in 55. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to your God he will freely pardon So repentance is a necessary first step in the sanctification process because sin will always inhibit any spiritual growth. Like faith, repentance is not ever a one-time act at conversion, but a character characterize the Christian life. Because we continue to sin, it is a continued action of repentance. 
John writes this in 1 John. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes, sadly, we continue to sin each and every day in some way. And we therefore also need to continue to ask the Lord for his forgiveness, coming before him with repentant hearts. Obviously, there is a problem with unrepentant sins. In verse 20, he writes, Paul, For I'm afraid that when I come, I may find you, may not find you as I want you to be. I would suggest to you that Paul has very good reason to be afraid that that would be the case when he arrives. Considering the behavior of the Corinthian church, according to Paul's first letter to them, when he wrote to them, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Obviously, something there has hit the hearts of some of the people in Corinth. And when people use words such as afraid, we should understand it probably more in the context of being anxious. He had heard some not-so-good reports about his previous experience with the church in Corinth, and he was heading there now for a third time with some anxiety about the spiritual condition of the church that he had left behind. And should this turn out to be true? Then he continues, And you may not find me as you want me to be. This is like children waiting for their parent to come home after a day when they have been behaving really badly. They dearly want their parent to be coming home to be kind and loving, happy, so that their time together can be filled with joy and harmony. That is what children want, is it not? They really do not want their bad behavior to bring home a disappointed and angry parent to come and deal with them and their sinfulness. So sin cuts it both ways. The parent are hoping for well-behaved children and the children are hoping for a happy, loving, kind parent. And yet sin may well prevent both from getting what they hope for. And obviously Paul is expressing his anxiety clearly. I fear that they may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder he's pretty well covered all the sins just to make sure that they understand it and when he finished with a list of a catch-all he puts the word disorder it kind of grabs all the things he didn't maybe have had covered already he has given them a full repertoire of sins so they can ponder them in their minds and their hearts before his arrival And also keeping in mind that if they feel someone has done any of those things against themselves, sins against them, they may well also keep in mind how they have been treated when they have done this to the Lord God. As Paul writes in Colossians, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And not to forgive but to hold a grudge is also a sin. And why is then repentance so important to you and me? It is all of those things we are doing as Christians to which shows the Lord and shows the world around us that we actually have grasped the truth that we are sinners and we know in our hearts that we are utterly unable to save ourselves. That's what repentance shows. It states clearly that I accept I have a serious problem and the only cure for this is my Lord Jesus Christ and that I am the very reason that he had to die that he had to die such a gruesome death on a cross because of who I am. As I've said many times before, men and women will only serve the Lord in direct proportion to the sins forgiven, or maybe more accurately, in direct proportion to the sins they feel they need forgiveness for. And that brings up the problem of classifying what sin is. Firstly, Romans 3.23 then teaches us, For we all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And then Isaiah in 59 sets the consequence for us. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden your face from you so that he does not hear. It is a total separation from God, which is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you ever in your life. There is no big or little sin. There is no white lie. All sins are sins. No matter how we perceive the size of them, they're all lies are just that, lies. Hence, there is no partial repentance. A true repentance is wholehearted and it's complete. Paul then finished this chapter with a teaching which setting out what he thinks may happen upon his return. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you. Paul's basically now telling them that he thinks God will humiliate him due to the behavior of children, the congregation in Corinth. See, no parent ever wants his or her children to behave badly, I'm guessing. Or misbehaving child reflects on the parents reflects on what we have done and how we trained our children. And Paul is just that. He is anxious about his children. He has trained them in the best way he knew how, and yet they misbehave. Well, my children are now their own beings, and even now in their age I'm still affected by the behavior of my children, be that either good or bad. That's the truth of it. You never and Paul feels this ever. The point is we never stop being a parent and Paul feels this burden also for all the churches he planted, for all the people he was involved with. And he says, and I will be grieved over many. Paul knows how he feels. If he finds them unrepentant, it will bring great sadness in him. He will be embarrassed. He will be humiliated because he is there to present them before God, ready to meet the Lord. It is all who have sinned earlier and I have not repented, he speaks about. It's no small thing he's speaking about here either. 
Paul's referring them to the blatant sinfulness in the sight of God, contrary to their stated belief in Jesus Christ, when they committed themselves to the Lord, and, indeed, their initial conversion. And no insignificant sin either, they had not repented. Of the impurity, the sexual sin, the debauchery of which they have indulged, he finished the chapter with. Paul had addressed these problems with the church in Corinth. He addressed it to them in 1 Corinthians 5, in 1 Corinthians 6, in 1 Corinthians 10. Over and over again, he had made it very clear. So none of this is new to them. They know what their sins have been, and they know not to indulge in them. And yet, Paul has had these reports that they still do. And I wonder sometimes... When people speak of Woodford Church, what are they saying about us? Do I have reason to be anxious? Do we, and I include myself solidly within this, do we live out a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us? And when we're out and about and away from our fellowship and finally... What does all this talk of sin and repentance really mean for each one of us? What does it mean for you as an individual? Well, if you fully comprehend what salvation actually means for you in the sense of the eternal word of God, then I understand who you are. When you stand alone before the throne of God with no one there to protect you and you give an account of your life, when he will then either see you through the lens of Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner, in other words, he will see you as sinless, or he sees you for who you really are, an unrepentant sinner, then that dictates where you will spend eternity. So the question is quite simple from all this, what Paul is teaching us today. If you read all this and understand the truth of what Paul has given us here in these two verses alone, then why would you interfere with your sanctification by the Spirit and not do that little that you are able to do, that of repenting of the sins that you know you're living with? We should take heed of what you read in Ezekiel 18. For I, the Lord your God, Take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. He says, repent and live. My dear brothers and sisters, repentance is the necessary and the first step in your sanctification process. Do not let this truth slip by you or forget it. And may our Lord and Father bless you with an ironclad faith and a commitment to his word, the word being the Lord Jesus Christ. And be thankful for everything that he has suffered for you. This is what Paul wants you to understand. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we, we don't fully comprehend the mercy you have allowed to flow down upon us but we accept it willingly. And we pray, Lord, that each and every day we will listen more closely to your Holy Spirit that you also so lovingly placed in our hearts.
We pray, Lord, that we may come to a true understanding of who we are and what you had to do. And in all of this, Lord, we pray that you will humble us, that you will cause us to repent from a heart, a repentant heart. All these things, Lord, we pray and ask for them in the holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.